0: We're going to continue in our series, Hope in the Dark. We're exploring resources uh, for us, for all of us, when we're going through dark times. What do we do when you're going through something dark? Uh, We've all had things that have happened to us where it leads us to ask the question, where were you, God? Where were you? Why did you let this happen to me? Why did I lose my job when I lost my job that was really inconvenient time? Like, there's ever a convenient time to lose your job. Why did my friends bail on me in that moment where I really needed them? Why did I have that relationship that turned south? Why didn't I have the relationship that I'm looking for? Why, God? Where were you in the middle of all that? A lot of us have had painful experiences in life. We've gone through some dark seasons. I mean, for some of you, you've got months out of the year that you can count on. They're just going to be dark months out of the year. Anybody got that? Like when you just go through it, look, for me, that's like January, February. You can help your pastor out in January, February. Okay, I'm a summer guy. I love the heat. I love the summer. When the winter comes, man, you just got to dig me out of the dark. All right. Uh, Some of you understand that at a palpable level, you've been through seasons of pain and we can't help but ask those questions. And I think what happens in that is it, it surfaces a longing on the inside. We long for something, whether it's we long for our circumstances to change. You know, if 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 I could just get out of this, or if I just had this one thing, then my life would be okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, when you're going through a really dark season, you just want some chocolate ice cream. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you go to Hayward's to bail you out of some really dark times. Yes, that's true. That's 100 percent true. Uh, I know when my wife is pregnant, I use that as an excuse to eat whatever I want. Okay. Um, (laughs) but like some sometimes you're going through dark seasons. You just you ask those questions. Man, if I just had this, life would be okay. Or if this one part of my life would change, then things would be better. I want you to kind of sit in that question, those two questions. If I had this one thing, if this one area of my life would change, then my life would better sit in that for this message. Because that longing that we have for some things in our life to change is what we're going to address today. What do we do with those longings? What do we do with those longings? Here's what I really believe. I believe that Jesus wants your best and my best. I believe that he wants to heal you and me in some of the deepest hurts and wounds that we have, but we've got to know the pathway to find that. There are some things in your life that are screaming at you right now. And we have to ask ourselves, what do we do with those longings? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 9. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to continue through Matthew. And we're exploring this master teacher, Jesus Christ, who we believe wasn't just the teacher. He's the son of God. And he has something to show us today in this story that he has with a particular man going through some really dark times. So Matthew chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 1. Jesus, this is the setting, Jesus has been wandering through the northern part of Israel. He's been saying things that nobody has ever heard people say before. He's speaking not just at an inspiring level, but when he says things, it's almost like he could read where you're at. Like when he speaks, it's like, Jesus, how did you know that's what I was going through? There's a level of authority in that when his words come, it's like he just exposes people and they're like, I got to hear more of what he has to say. And not only that, but he's been doing things that nobody's ever seen done before. He's actually healing people. I mean, people are walking in with broken legs and they walk out with no broken legs. I mean, they didn't cut the legs off or anything like that. They they have legs that aren't broken. Okay. That came out really weird. Okay. Anyway, uh, Jesus has been healing people. That's what's happening. (laughs) Some of you are like, man, I got to get out of here before it gets dark in here. All right. Uh, this is what happens in, in the beginning of Matthew 9. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over the lake, and we've been just exploring what, what kind of ministry he was doing around this lake, the Sea of Galilee. He crossed over and he came to his own town, which was the town of Capernaum. That's where he grew up. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. Paralyzed guy. Talk about dark times. Here's a paralytic coming to Jesus. I don't know if you've spent a lot of time around paralyzed guys. They can't do a whole lot. Not with their bodies anyway. They're incredibly limited. When you think about going through dark times, they had this physical condition where they can't move their arms, they can't move their legs, they can't do the normal daily things that most of us take for granted. They can't do it. Paralyzed. He's on a mat, completely helpless. Now, In this gospel account, it doesn't tell us all the details surrounding this. In Mark's gospel account, it actually shows us that there were immense crowds surrounding Jesus when he got out of the boat and he was on land. He was inside a particular building and they were crowding around him, filling this building because there's so much anticipation of what Jesus could do to heal someone right on the spot. I mean, you can't tell me right now that if something or someone could get rid of that one problem in your life, that one thing that you wish could change, and you knew you could go up to them and then instantly have it healed, you wouldn't go find them as, as quick as you could. I mean, if you're like me, I'd be skeptical at first. You know, if someone comes up to me and says, hey, Scott, you wouldn't believe it. This guy, you know, he has been healing people. I'm like, all right, that's kind of weird. <laughs> Stay away from that until a good friend comes up to me and says, you know that broken leg I had last week? Like, I can walk on it now. You wouldn't believe it. This guy, Jesus, did that. I'm like, Okay. That's a little weird, uh, but man, good for you. And then friend after friend after friend comes up, man, you know my mom that had cancer? No cancer anymore. Y- you know the, the anxiety that I've been wrestling with? I feel 100% peace. I mean, person after person after person is spreading all over this, this sea of Galilee region. And they're telling people about this. And so people are flocking to Jesus because if they had that one thing in their life fixed, they're assuming life's gonna be better. The room is so filled in this moment And these guys can't get in. This paralytic has a bunch of friends and they're with him. They're carrying him. They're helping them get to Jesus and they can't get in. In Mark's gospel, it says the room, the house that they were in was so filled, nobody could get in. But in that moment, if you're as desperate as a paralytic and you've got nothing else that's going to heal you, no doctors, no medicine, nothing, you're paralyzed from the neck down, you're going to do anything, anything to get there. So you know what these guys do? In Mark's gospel, they take the mat, they climb up onto the roof of this guy's house, they rip open the roof, and the owner's like, thanks a lot. They drop this guy down on his mat, and Jesus, you can kind of picture him, he's healing a bunch of people around him, and then whoop, this guy like lands right in front of his face on a mat, and he's like, Whoa, paralyzed guy, hey, welcome. You do desperate things for what you're desperate for. Isn't that true? We will do desperate things in this room for things that we are desperate for. I don't, I don't really usually do this very often, but I went to the Merrimack outlets this past summer. And you know that little like drawing that they have out front for like that brand new car or that whole bunch of cash that you could possibly win. Anybody pass by that if you go to the, the Merrimack outlets, like, you know what I'm talking about? Nobody in this room goes shopping ever, okay Like you, you pass by a couple things There's this massive car and there's a drawing that you can enter with some of your personal information To be able to get this stuff. I never do that because it never works, you know, nobody ever gets those phone calls But I was like what the heck I'll try it this time weeks go by And I get a phone call I'm in my office Starbucks and I'm working hard on something Uh, and all of a sudden I I get this number that I can't recognize. So I just let it go to voicemail, listen to the voicemail. Sure enough, this guy calls me up and says, Hey, you wouldn't believe this. This is so-and-so from the Merrimack outlets, uh, drawing. Just want to let you know you won something. Call us back quickly before it goes away. Uh, we want to reach out to you. What do you do if you're me in that moment? You drop everything. And you give him a call. This is my moment, you know. Like I'm like my heart's starting to race in that moment. I'm like, this is it. This is it. I'm gonna get the car. I'm gonna get the money. Like my life's gonna change, you know. I'm like I'm starting to get hyped up in this moment. And I call and I get the voicemail. I leave the voicemail. I sit back in my chair and I'm like jittering, you know. Is this it? Is this it? And like about five minutes later, I'm like, all right, I gotta call again. So I call again. Nobody. And then I call again. Nobody. And I call again. Nobody. Just like wouldn't come. And I'm like freaking out. I can't focus on anything. That's probably why my message was terrible. That week Uh, anyway uh, and then finally the guy calls me back he said hey want to let you know you want something I'm like please tell me what is it he goes I want to let you know that you want a couple nights free uh, in a timeshare somewhere but you got to go up north to a four or five hour meeting and you got to go with your wife uh, and you got to sign something don't worry you're not doing anything uh, except maybe giving away your first child and then you can participate in this whole timeshare and I'm like, "No." It was so close. (laughs) You ever been massively disappointed? That was a disappointing moment, I'm telling you what. But we do desperate things for what we're desperate for, don't we? I kept calling and calling and calling. And for some of you, you're calling and calling and calling. You're asking God for something. I need a change in my life. I need this thing to go away. I'm desperately, I mean, for some of you, like you got debt up to your eyeballs. And you can say, man, if I could just get rid of this debt right now, God, I'll do anything. For some of you, like you are so lonely in this room. That the first person that comes up and offers you something, man, you'll bunk up with them. Because you're desperate. You you want something, somebody to love. We're going to do desperate things for what we're desperate for. And these guys are desperate. Now, here's the crazy thing about Jesus. You ready? These guys are really desperate, the need is obvious, it's screaming, it's literally right in Jesus' face, and this is how Jesus responds. You ready? Verse two, some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, go away, your paralysis is completely healed. No, that's not what he says, is it? What does he say? Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Uh, Jesus, this guy's paralyzed. His sins are forgiven? He wasn't asking for that. Do you see this? I mean, he can't move his legs or his arms. His sins are forgiven? Look, you can't tell me that if you went to the emergency today with a leg that's sticking out this way, you're screaming inside the ER, and like things are dark fast, and you're in front of a doctor, and the doctor looks at you and says, hey, just want to let you know your sins are forgiven. You're good to go. Like you're not buying that in that moment, right? Jesus, that's not my need. I've got a different need that's screaming in this moment and I need you to fix that. Except Jesus looks at this guy and he says this, your loudest need right now may not be your deepest need. And I want to deal with that first. Something may be screaming in your life right now. And Jesus is saying, it goes a lot deeper than that. A lot deeper. That's what I want to get to. Now, if you're like me in this moment, you might get a little offended. Jesus, I'm asking you for something specific here. You're not coming through. Wait, wait. My sins are forgiven? I mean, you're going to talk to me about sin in this moment? I can't move my arms and my legs, but we're going to talk about sin. Look, for some of you, that's what you struggle with with this whole church thing. You walk into a church and all they wanna do is talk about sin and how guilty you are and how shameful you need to feel and you walk away convicted and just like, man, it's just so negative. Why are we talking about sin when I've got a financial problem? I've got a job problem. I've got a relationship issue. Why are we talking about sin? And I think we have to understand a couple things about sin. We don't understand sin very well in our 21st century because for a lot of us, when we think about sin, we're we're thinking a list of don'ts that a lot of us in this room probably haven't done. I mean... Have you murdered someone recently? We're probably thinking Ten Commandments. You know, have you committed adultery? Have you disobeyed your parents? I mean, well, I probably shouldn't say that, okay? Because that's like all of us in this room, okay? Uh, If you're a parent in this room, you're like, preach it. Um, Anyway, like, have you done some of the worst things that are on that do not do list? And if I haven't done that, man, I'm not that bad. Why are we talking about sin? Well, for one, I think all of us in this room understand uh, that we can... (laughs) We can kind of be blind to the real issue at times. You ever watch someone watch football and they're screaming at the TV? Um, you know, my, t- my football team is losing badly. And if you're a New York Jets fan like me, you're probably with me very, very closely, okay? Yeah, all of you can have pity in this room. Go ahead, aww. And he's just kidding. Um, but like, if you're screaming at the TV after a while, if you're not even a football fan, you're looking at this person screaming, you're like, is this really what we're crying about? Anybody else with me on that? Like, is that really the issue going on or is there something deeper? Like some of us will lash out at our kids in a moment where they just like didn't put their plates away the right way. And we're like, is that really the issue? Some of us, like the loud issues in our, in our heads and our minds are really not the main issue. They're not the real deal. Jesus wants to take us so much deeper than that. And when we think about dealing with some of the brokenness in this world, sin is really at the issue of all of that. Sin and sin nature is responsible for every tragedy. It's responsible for every bad decision. It's responsible for every broken relationship because when sin entered the world, it corrupted the good creation that God had. And there was a rift in creation from which every awful thing happens. Sin is a lot bigger than we think it is. And it has a force that's so negative. In fact, Jesus said, I don't wanna just deal with some of the stuff on the outside as if you just didn't murder, that's fine. I want, you to, I want, to, I want to bring us back to the the origins of what murder is. He said, I don't want to just deal with mass killings and bombings around the world. I I don't want to deal with that. You know what I want to deal with? I want to deal with the anger inside your heart, because that's where it comes from. This is what we looked at weeks ago. Do you know that murder at its core is anger not dealt with? That's where it stems from. You you want to talk about sexual brokenness. Some of the stuff that we, you know, the the, the relationships that have been destroyed because someone cheated on so-and-so, or this person cheated on this person, or, you know, the objectivization that we have of women because of the rampant pornography in our culture. Jesus says it's not just dealing with some of the stuff on the outside and that. You know what I want to deal with? I want to deal with the lust on the inside of you. I want to go to a heart level here first. You know, you talk about don't judge other people and don't be rude about them. Like, stop focusing on the sin of other people. Jesus said, you know what I want to do? I want to focus on you. Are you condemning people? Are you judging people? Like, don't don't talk about your aunt's cousin's brother. What about you? Jesus always brings it right back to the heart. You know why? Because this is what sin is. Again, it's not a list of just doing bad things sin is building your life on anything other than the creator of the universe. It's building your life on anything other than him. Have you ever considered that if God gave you exactly what you wanted right now, that that actually might be the worst thing he could do for you? Think about this for a second. I read this article this past week uh, written by a lady named Cynthia Heimel uh, who chronicled the life of a whole bunch of celebrities back in the day. She, she just followed a whole bunch of really top-notch celebrities, just figured out what is their life all about, how do they go through life, you know, what, what's that like to be a celebrity, and this is what she said. She said, I pity celebrities. No, I really do. She, she said that they were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. You see, they wanted fame. They worked, they pushed, and the morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose. Because the giant thing that they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness, it happened. And they were still themselves. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. The things they assumed were actually going to make life better, when they got it, they realized they still couldn't escape who they were. And she says this, she goes on, she says, I think God, when God wants to play a real rotten joke on you, he grants your deepest wish and then laughs merrily when you realize you want to end it all. Is it possible that in this moment, some of the things that you long for with everything inside of you would actually probably do more damage than good? I don't know your situation. I can't speak to that in your life specifically. That's only between you and God. But is it possible? Any uh, football fans in the room? We talk about football a lot today. Uh, like I might bring up a little bit of a sore subject here, but uh, anybody following the life of Antonio Brown over the past couple of weeks and months? Poor guy. Uh, Antonio Brown uh, is one of the most talented wide receivers in the NFL. Without, without question, some would actually say he might be the best wide receiver in the NFL. He's got fame, he's got money, he's got in a lot of ways what so many perspire, or, uh, perspiring, <laughs> yeah, they do perspire quite a bit in the NFL. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what that word is, okay? Aspiring, thank you very much. Uh, perspiring NFL players, you can take that away with you when you go home today. Thank you very much. Um, look, what these guys aspire to, he's got. He got traded to uh, the Oakland Raiders to begin with, and that's when things got weird, okay? He was the only NFL player in this offseason to push back on the NFL rules when it came to the helmet laws. Okay, He wanted a particular helmet that he's always had, but the NFL made the helmets a lot safer, but he didn't want that, so he fought it, lost that battle, and then he fought it again legally and lost it again, uh, and they kind of buried that. On top of that, he also messed up his foot with a treatment that's supposed to make you feel better about your body, cryotherapy, actually burned his feet with frostbite, really weird stuff. He missed a whole bunch of practices. Uh, He actually lashed out over social media and in person to his regular general manager, and they had enough finally and said, man... you know, have it your way. You're off the team. And the Patriots are like, we'll take him uh, until all sorts of sexual allegations came out. And they're like, uh, never mind. Uh, and then kicked him out. And in that moment, like he was probably facing some sort of a fine from the NFL to say, like, you can't even be in the NFL. And what he does in that moment is he says, hey, I'm going to retire early. Antonio Brown's got some deep issues. And he's resting on helmet laws. On healing your body, taking it out on the GM, trying to manage money contracts, and saying, I'm going to retire early. Is it possible that the loudest need in Antonio's mind is actually not the deepest need? And everyone else can see it but him. Is it possible that whatever's screaming inside of your head right now might be the loudest need in your life, but not it might not be the deepest need it might not be what Jesus wants to deal with right now is that possible we've all, we've all got deeper sin issues in our lives things that we're tempted to build our life on instead of building it on Jesus and Jesus is saying I've got to get at the, the, the foundation, the root of your life that's what I want to deal with so how do you know how do you know what that is And why would we escape that? Now, this is so interesting to me. As you journey through this story, we've got another crowd that enters the scene at this moment. Okay. Jesus says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And at this point, there's another crowd that enters the picture and they're deeply offended. Ready? Verse 3. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. When was the last time you heard someone use blaspheme? All right. You looked at your uh, boss and were like, blasphemer! You know, I don't know. Uh, it hasn't happened a whole lot in my life. But in that moment, they're deeply offended by what Jesus said. But not just what he said and the fact that like this guy needed a healed body. But in the content behind what Jesus said. They're offended by this. It's really offensive. In fact, uh, it was not the fact that Jesus wanted to forgive this guy's sins as if this guy was not sinful. In fact, in the first century, uh, religious elites assumed that if you had a physical condition like paralysis, that you were very sinful that there was something very deeply wrong with who you are because physical condition was very tied to your spiritual condition. In fact, uh, in the first century, uh, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Ami, one of the teachers back then said, there is no death without sin and no pains without some transgression. Rabbi Alexander said, the sickness arises not from his sickness until his sins are forgiven. Uh, and Rabbi uh, Chika, I don't remember, I don't know how you say his name, uh, Chija Ben Abba said, no sick person is cured from sickness until all his sins are forgiven. He's basically saying like every thing that's happened to you, it's because you're sinful. Now Jesus actually shows us a little bit of a different side, because there's a story where Jesus actually encounters a guy who'd been blind from birth, and he heals the man. And later on, all sorts of religious leaders surround themselves around this guy, and they say, you know, they, they ask Jesus, they're like, who, who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, man, it had nothing to do with their sin or their parents' sin, but I want to show you something about the glory of God revealed through this guy when he gets healed. He said, it's a lot bigger than that. The reason these guys are so offended is because of the content of what Jesus is assuming and claiming when he says, I'm going to forgive your sins. Picture this with me for a moment. Three guys walk into a room. Yeah, it's like a pastor saying, three guys walk into a bar, okay. Tom, Dick, and Harry, okay. Tom punches Harry in the face, and it's ugly. Dick then looks at Tom and says, hey, man, just want to let you know I forgive you. Harry in that moment is like, what do you mean you forgive him? He punched me in the face, not you. Like, that wouldn't work, right? What's Jesus' business claiming to forgive this guy? I mean, what's Jesus assuming in that moment when he says, I forgive you? <laughs> Well, he's assuming that there was an offense that was done to Jesus, as if that wasn't offensive enough. This is what Jesus then says. You ready for this? I love this. We're going we're to continue to go back to that in just a second. Hang on to that. This is what Jesus says. Ready? Knowing their thoughts, meaning the scribes, these religious elite people, Jesus says, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Why? Which is easier, which is one of the best philosophical questions that you can ask, and we'll get back to that in just a second. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he says to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up, and he went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to a man. Before we get back to Jesus and his offense to the scribes in this moment, what Jesus is claiming to be, we've got to understand this, this question. This is a great question. When Jesus said, "What's easier? What's easier Just to say you're going to forgive somebody or to actually back it up? I mean, we see those NFL players who are like all about, you know, themselves and they do the trash talking all week. They got to back it up, right? Jesus got to back it up in this moment. How does he back it up? He asked the guy to stand up and walk out. A a paralyzed man who could not move anything, completely helpless and powerless. The guy gets up and walks out. But is that actually the harder thing? To actually say get up and walk out or to actually say your sins are forgiven? The harder question in my mind as I'm wrestling with this all week, the harder thing to do is actually to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because there's a cost to forgiveness every time. Every time. Every time someone hurts you, every wrong thing that's happened to you, there's a deep cost associated with forgiveness. You think about it, those wounds that have been done to you in the past, every time that happens, there is a cost and somebody's got to pay. There's two ways that you can deal with that. You can either make the person who hurts you pay. We call it revenge. We call it getting back at them. We we call it maybe going to the judge and settling that so that they give you what they owe you. You demand that from them. That's one pathway. Make them pay. The other pathway is that you absorb that cost and you take it on yourself and you actually pay that. That's the pathway of forgiveness. Do you know what Jesus is saying in this moment? He's saying that the sin and the brokenness of this world was a deep offense to the God of all creation. That when people started to build their life on anything other than God, it put a rift right down the center of all of creation, not only meaning that people are separated from God for all eternity, but actually broken in their relationship with God, broken in their relationship with other humans, and broken in their relationship with themselves. That's how deep that cost, that pain is. And God had two choices. Either he was going to make us pay that price or he's going to absorb it himself and pay that unbelievable cost. And in this moment when Jesus says, I forgive you, your sins are forgiven, he's not just saying something flippant. He's promising something in this moment. I'm going to pay this cost. How did he do that? The God of the universe made it possible for sins to be broken, sins to be paid for, the debt to be dealt with, when he put himself on the cross. And he put our, himself in our place, covering the debt of sin that we owed God. Jesus took all of that on himself and said, you don't have to pay, I'm going to pay it for you. He opened up the eternal bank account and said, this is everything that I owe. And I'm going I'm to pay it all for your sake, even though you don't deserve it, and I don't deserve this death. I'm going to do this because I love you and I want you back in my family. And it's the only way to get you back. Jesus said that the, the wages of sin in Romans six twenty three. the wages, the cost of sin is death. Someone would have to pay with their life because of the sin debt that we have before God. And all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus was going to come in and he says, I'm going to do this for you. And not just that, you know what he does? He not only wipes the slate clean, but he says, and this is a fulfillment of the promise of Ezekiel. He said, I'm going to do something new inside of you. I'm not just going to deal with the sin on the inside. I'm actually going to give you a brand new heart. This is what Ezekiel says. This is a promise from the Messiah. It says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'm going to remove from you your heart of stone. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. This is the gospel message. Not that you and I needed advice as if we could have a a five-step program to make our lives better. We needed news of what has been done for us. It's not that we had a little sickness and we just needed a little medication prescribed from the doctor. No, we are spiritual paralytics. Helpless. Apart from the grace and the power of Jesus Christ, and until our God could step in on him, on in, in, into history Himself, and deal with this, we were lying, helpless on a spiritual dead mat. And Jesus said, "Get up and walk, and I want you to come home." That's His promise to us. And yet the scribes are deeply offended at this. Because they're not looking for news. They're looking for advice. The scribes memorized the Bible. They knew it inside and out. All they wanted to do is follow a couple of step programs so they could be better than someone else and and think, man, God now owes me eternity because I'm clearly better than other people around me. What are you looking for? Are you looking for God to just kind of change one thing in your life or another thing? Are you looking for like just a couple of step program that if you could just add this to my life, God, my life's going to be better? Or are you looking for the deepest change that only God can give you when you hand your life over to him? Are you looking for him to drastically change the inside of your heart? Or are you just looking for your circumstances to change? I promise you this. Nothing outside can change the brokenness that's on the inside. If you're looking at circumstances... As if that alone is going to change you and save you, you're never going to find it. The deepest healing can only come when we offer God our hearts and say, I need a brand new heart, Jesus. Would you do that for me? But our cultures pitched us something different. They say as long as you play nice on the outside, it doesn't matter what you believe on the inside, that doesn't matter. You just play nice on the outside, you do whatever you want in your private life. We've divorced the public and the private world so deeply that they say, basically, it doesn't matter what you think. doesn't matter, you know, what you believe on the inside. Man, just play nice on the outside. Everything's fine. And so what I've been reading about recently in this book called The Disappearing Church, man, it's a brilliant book, understanding all of this. Highly recommend it. Is they're saying, man, we're surrounding ourselves in the middle of some of our brokenness on the inside. We're surrounding ourselves with things that look nice and feel nice. We've got the designer jeans. We've got our Starbucks. We've, we're, we're, we're equipping ourselves with these iPhones and MacBooks that look pretty. And yet for all the stuff and the glitz and the glamour and the, the instant gratification we have on the outside, did you know that our country is more anxious and more depressed, more lonely and more medicated than we've ever been? We're looking for things on the outside to fix what only God can heal on the inside. Man, it's time for us to co- start coming to God. Man, I read this years ago and I just found this penetrating because I think we're all here in one way or another. Star-studded performer Madonna put her struggle this way. She said, I got an iron will and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being and then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Assuming that fame and power and privilege and status is actually going to get her what her heart needs most. Again and again, my drive in life is from this horrible feeling of being mediocre and that's always pushing me because even though I've become somebody, I still got to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle hasn't ended and it probably never will. Guys, nothing outside can change the inside. Nothing outside can change the inside. You got to go to the one who made the inside to change that. This is what God promises in 2 Chronicles 7 14, he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. That's a promise, but we've got to come to him. Why do you spend your money in Isaiah 55? It says, on what's not bread and your labor on what doesn't satisfy. Why are you going to all these things that you think are going to help you? Listen, listen to me, God says, and eat what's good. And your soul, the inside of who you are, it says, is going to delight in the richest of food. It says, give ear and come to me that your soul may live. Man, Joe's talking about all of us maybe coming in with something hard this week. I'm telling you what, this was a hard week for me. For a lot of reasons. There's some pretty hard emotional things that I had to walk through this past week. It was tough, and I'm I'm telling you, my temptation this week was... I'm just going to eat away my struggles. Anybody else, like you just want to just run to Chick-fil-A when the week's hard? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like that Chick-fil-A sauce is pretty magical. Um, You just want to run. You want to eat away your trouble. You want to buy some new clothes. I was this close to like buying a whole bunch of new clothes. I had someone who was offering me their like iPhone that was six months old. And yeah, it was going to be expensive, but it was a lot less than the other one. And so, man, I was like so tempted to just go all in with that. I was really tempted to surround myself with people who just make me feel better about what I'm going through. In that moment, I heard Jesus whisper, stop running. Come to me. Why would you go anywhere else? Run to me, Scott. And so here's what I want to do. I want to I put this slide up on the screen. It's a fill in the blank. And I want us to just get honest with ourselves in this moment. If I only had blank, then my life would be happy. Or if only I had this changed, my life would be better. If you're courageous in this room this morning, you're going to take a piece of paper and write that thing down. If you've got guts in this room, if you're willing to deal at a heart level with what Jesus wants to do in your life and you actually want healing in this room, you're gonna write that down and you're gonna walk home and you're gonna ask Jesus, do something about this. I'm leaning on you because I realize it's a heart issue at this point. It's not my circumstances that need change. It's me. I need change. If you're courageous in this room, you're gonna bring it to him. It's offensive the gospel message is offensive. It means that you're part of the problem, but I'm telling you, when we own that, that's the only place we're going to experience healing from God. It's the only place. A couple more things I want to draw your attention to, and we're going to walk out, and my hope is that we're all going to be changed people as a result of what God is showing us today. What does God want to do? He wants to heal you. He wants the best for your life. Do you know what happened to these guys? Jesus says, take heart, son. The word take heart there is courage. He says, courage. I want you to have confidence on the inside. I want to get rid of your anxiety and your depression. I want to get rid of these things that are plaguing you and ruining the inside of your heart. I'm saying I want to replace that with confidence. When you come to me, he says, confidence, son, daughter. I'm going to let you walk out of here and head home in Confidence. Because the state of your soul has been dealt with with the king of the universe. Confidence. The second thing here is he's showing us there's mission. (laughs) I want you to be confident with the God of your salvation. And I also want you to participate in something life-changing. These guys saw someone who desperately needed help. Their friends surrounded the paralytic. And what did they do? They didn't just say, well, I'm a poor guy. going to leave him to himself. You know what they did? They took him straight to Jesus. Some of you got some friends in this room right now who are hurting at a deep level. Would you do whatever it takes to bring them to Jesus? Would you do whatever it takes? And then finally, I think for some of us in this room, we've kind of bought into this American dream where if we got enough money in the bank account, if our job is stable enough, and if you know, the TV shows that we're into right now are entertaining enough, like life is good, <laughs> Check out how, these, the, how the crowd responds in verse 8. When the crowd saw this, it says they were filled with what? Awe. Do you know what the Greek word actually says for awe? It's phobeo, from which we get the word phobia, from which we translate it fear. They have fear in that moment. We're dealing with something bigger than ourselves. <laughs> This isn't just about me anymore. This is the God of the universe who stepped into history and is claiming to forgive sins. And I'm telling you, If your life doesn't have an element of fear and risk as you follow Jesus, if you're not struck by what Jesus has done here, and you're putting your life at some sort of a risk to follow him and say, man, I'm all in. I'm going to trust you with my money. I'm going to trust you with my time. I'm going to trust you with my relationships. I'm going to dive into biblical community, even though that's vulnerable and it's scary. I'm going to serve you on a regular basis, and that's scary because it's robbing me of some of the things that I want out of life. If your life is not lived with an element of fear, I'm I'm not sure that you're following Jesus. If you're living for the comfort of the American dream, I'm telling you right now, we might be buying into a different Savior rather than Jesus Christ. But you'll never find the confidence and the peace and the empowerment that he so freely offers until we go all in with our Savior. Man, where are you right now? I had to do some massive surgery on my heart this week, but you know what? I want to grip on his promises. I want what he offers and I'm willing to go down that hard road no matter what it takes because he's worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, show us what's possible. Show us what's possible as we get right with you. God, I pray that you would show us this week some of those areas of our life that maybe are not fully surrendered to you some of those areas of our life, God, where we're building our life, we're building our confidence, we're building our hope, we're resting something on, on what's not you. Show us that, God. And then show us, God, what would happen if we, if we went all in with you, Jesus if we pressed in and made you a daily priority as we examine your word, as we pressed in, as we pray and bring our, our anxiety to you, trusting God that when we cast all of our cares on you, you're gonna heal us. I pray that you'd make us grateful people that as we remember that we were in debt, that we could never have paid to the God of the universe, you wiped it clean Not because we deserved it. Not because we followed a five-step plan or we showed up at church. But you wiped it clean because you love us. God, let us be broken over that. And just say, Jesus, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I'm willing to surrender this. I just want more of you. And I want to be a part of the life and the life change that you want to do in me and through me. Do that, God. Would you do that for us? In Jesus' name.